the problem is that people buy these things thinking of them as some kind of uh, investment or they think that they're investing in that company because if there's not that hyper financialization are people even interested in the community what makes them interested to be part of the community i think the answer to that lies in things that were not possible before for example like having a say in how things are run right having a seat at the table being able to vote on what the artist does absolutely i think the last couple of years there's definitely been a lot of people who have sort of stressed the financial aspect but i do think now in the bear market one of my hopes is that there's a lot less noise so you have a lot more time for pure builders where the value prop is not financial the value prop is not like you're going to make a quick buck the value prop is like hey you can build something without asking us permission right you have access to a technological construct that you didn't have access to before so i think that's where the next wave is going to come from Hello, I'm Somia Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak, a closed social network for professional learning and strategic networking. This podcast series is separate from the premium content and webinars on Impeak. It's a place where I interview industry leaders as a way to gain insights about whatever is on my mind at the time. But one theme is always consistent throughout this series, and that is my deep passion for technology and how it shapes the future of humanity. In today's podcast, you will hear my interview with Sriram Krishnan of A16Z. I've been a big fan of Sriram for quite some time, and I've been consistently listening to the A16Z podcast for the past few years. I talked to Sriram about some tough questions that I'm personally grappling with as a founder who started out in Web3 and is now having to pivot or at least expand beyond it into AI and other areas of emerging technologies. I think we unlocked some real insights in this conversation that I hope you will find helpful to your journey of navigating the fast technological transitions of our time. So without further ado, let's dive right in. So Siram, I listened to your talk that you gave at Consensus and it was super, super interesting as you were talking about uh, Web3 Social. And I was like, oh God, I'm building this platform and I have all these questions. So, so the way that I do these podcasts is usually I treat them as like a consultation session. So then other founders listen to it and they will take from it what they want. So it's more of a founder uh, talking either to another founder or to a VC asking questions that I would normally ask as if I would ask an advisor. So here's the thing. When I came into Web3, uh, I, I wanted to build a platform that was essentially what you would call a social platform, but, but not necessarily a social media in the sense that uh, we know today as social media, like Twitter, et cetera. Not, not for example, something like Farcaster or, um, or Lens Protocol, but more like a closed social network. The reason why I wanted to do that was because as somebody who grew her audience on LinkedIn, I was just really frustrated that, for example, when I came to Web3, I couldn't move all of my audience from LinkedIn into Twitter. You know, you're always kind of losing audience and you spend so much time building an audience and then you lose them. So um, what I loved about Web3 was that the difference between the concept of audience and community. And I wanted to build a platform that was for, for building a community. However, as you know, Web3 hasn't proliferated the way that we hoped. So we are in August. So that's four months or so since the talk that you gave in consensus. Do you still believe that Web3 as a whole is going to be a thing even in the coming months? And then if you say yes, then we can get to whether Web3 social is going to be a thing. 
uh, TLDR, absolutely. The way I think about it is uh, for, for everyone in Web3, uh, you know, there are kind of multiple reasons to get into it. And if you look at my story a little bit, uh, I have been in technology for a while. I feel so old. Uh, but you know, I spent a lot of it, spent a lot, a lot of the last decade working in these large social media companies and consumer platform companies at uh, at Facebook, Meta, Snap, and uh, Twitter. Uh, but before that, I had grown up in uh, in India. You know, as a kid, you know, with sort of a computer in my bedroom. Uh, you know, with kind of like really bad internet access, and I would just write code. I would participate in online forums. I would write a lot of open source code. I would build a lot of software, which is kind of communicated with built their own email client, which built a browser. And it was very much like the spirit of the open web. And, you know, and over the years, you know, we saw a lot of amazing consumer internet platforms being built out, Google, Facebook, et cetera. And I was a part of some of it and they've changed the lives of billions of people. And, you know, they helped me, they made my career. So huge, huge props to them. But, you know, I do think there is an element of the original spirit of the internet that has been lost. Uh, and which is, you know, permissionless innovation. Like when I was like 15, 16, you know, I could write code that built an email client and I didn't, you know, Gmail didn't even exist then, but I didn't have to call up someone at Hotmail and say, hey, I need an API key, right? Or I need a token, which I need to plug in. And if you look at most major Web2 platforms today, that's how they work. You need an API key or the, you, maybe you may not even have access. And I think there was something fundamentally lost, uh, even though we had this amazing innovation. And one of the things I like to say is like, you know, if you're getting into Web3, there is almost a quasi-religious aspect to it and you have to believe in it. Um, and for me, you know, the, the, one of the reasons I'm here um, is obviously I love working with founders and I love the technology and we can really get into all of that. But I do, part of it is like, I want to recapture that spirit, that energy of what got me into computing, you know, like in the late 90s to really date myself. And I do think we have lost. So the idea of like, you know, permissionless innovation, the idea of you truly owning things online, that those are things which I believe in deeply lots and lots of others do obviously in web3 and crypto um and yeah we, we can get there but so i'm as much a believer as i was a few years ago and will continue to be that's uh, that's great to hear i have to say that i've got a similar story to you so i i grew up in iran um i left iran when i was 23 if it wasn't for internet i wouldn't be here now because i figured out how to search the internet find universities apply for universities I'm about the same age as you are. So, so you know, like similar kind of timeline. And what, so, what, let me ask something. What was the first internet forum or site or app where you kind of like were you able to kind of break out of just Iran and maybe able to communicate? Other? What was the, that first site or app for you? So in Iran, those forums, they were all banned. The first forums that I managed to go to was after I came to the UK and I went to, uh, I lived in Scotland. So when I was in Iran, I was only able to, go to the university websites and I just managed to get enough of an access to apply for universities, you know, to search universities, find out which universities were offering the courses. I wanted to do uh, a course in political science. At that time, I was working for United Nations in, in Iran and, and for European embassies before that. So it's like with my background is working in United Nations and European embassies. And I, I had studied uh, English. So I was like, OK, I could maybe get into a university here to, to come in and do a master's in political science. So the amount of access that I had in Iran because of the way that they really limit everything was just to be able to get into university websites. But once I came into 
uh, the UK, the first forums that I went on were <laughs> bodybuilding, <laughs> you know, like bodybuilding forums were a thing back then, you know, and, and they were just the concept of community. And, and basically I, I got into uh, really exercising quite a lot because at first when I came to the UK as a student, I didn't have a lot of money. And I was like eating a lot of cheap biscuit and, <laughs> and uh, you know, like uh, orange juice uh, full of sugar. So I was like, okay, I need to get, get fit. So I started searching and I found a like-minded community of similar to what it honestly felt like Discord. It looked like Discord. It, it had that feeling with like a dark background with a with chat functionality, right? And that was the first time that I discovered the concept of, uh, you know, what, what a community was like. And then uh, when Facebook came along, you felt like really exposed, you know, like there was the way that uh, it was open and, you know, you were like all of a sudden connecting to lots of people. And then this idea of followers and following started to proliferate. And, and like, I hate that, actually. I really don't like it because I just feel like this, this following thing, it's just really tapping into a level of human psyche, um, you know, the, that dopamine response that is um, making people to say things, do things just to get that response, just to get that like. And we behave in a way on social media that you never would in real life. You know, in real life, you don't walk around like just say, okay, let me see, what can I say in this room that I'm entering, you know? Uh, I, I think, I think, First of all, I think your story is fantastic and uh, congratulations. I mean, I, there's a lot of similarities with me and I think my wife's story there uh, and growing up online, uh, et cetera. But then the follower following, uh, I do think you have a great point. When I was at Twitter, uh, one of the things I tried to get them to do, uh, well, this has nothing to do with Web3 or crypto, but since we're just on the topic, uh, one of the things I tried to get them to do was to remove all numbers from the following followers graph. And the reason for that is uh, that I do think, you know, one of the things I think Twitter had an issue with was when new people would show up at Twitter, they would see these people who had like millions of followers, right? Hundreds of millions of followers. And it would usually have one of two effects. One effect would be, okay, there is no way I'll ever have as many followers as say somebody as Lady Gaga or, you know, or Elon Musk. This was before Elon owned Twitter or, you know, one of the large accounts and they would just get dissuaded and they would just stop. The other issue that would happen is they would look at these super famous people and they would say, I need to do what these people are doing. And but it turns out that some of these people like are not the people you want to emulate when you are like your first day on Twitter and you're maybe not John Cena. And so you kind of have this incredibly weird dynamic. And I sometimes felt that, uh, you know, if you removed the numbers, some of the performative aspect of social media went away. And I'll give you an example of a company which did that in a very different way was Snap. Uh, Snapchat, because when Snapchat invented uh, stories, uh, uh, you know, like when you could post something on a Snap story, you could tap, 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 which obviously a lot of other social media companies do now. One of the key innovations was there were no numbers. So you couldn't actually tell how popular someone was. Only they could tell. And because of that, you were engaging with it only by how good is the content. Without by, hey, who else has reacted to it? Oh, I need to jump in because others. So you kind of took away all the judgment. One, it, I think it got much more authentic reactions in. But the second thing was it made people more comfortable posting because you are no longer thinking, oh, is this thing going to go viral? Right? You were just kind of doing more. Anyway, so it's a bit of a tangent, but I do think you have an interesting point there. I think that's definitely something that maybe with Web3 we could, uh, we could change because it's not very productive for creating human connection in many ways. Well, uh, I mean, that's debatable. I mean, they're obviously... <laughs> 
there are obviously billions of people who use these products, right? Like, so yeah. um, um, there, there might be a lot of value to that. But I do think, let me frame this in Web3, right? Um, if if I were to tell you, okay, fine, we have, you have an idea, we have an idea, let's have Instagram without numbers. Let's have TikTok without numbers, right? You can't do that, right? You know, you have to maybe be an employee of TikTok and you have to be in, you know, some exec meeting and be like, hey, can we run an experiment that removes all these numbers and hopefully someday, and then you can ship it, all right? And that's the only path you have. Like, you don't have two things. One, you don't have any power as a user. Two is you don't have the ability to go build a client or build things on top unless you are you control the keys to the kingdom. That's kind of how Web2 works. But to use another example, if you take any Web3 social, and I'm going to say Farcaster, disclaimer, uh, we are investors in Farcaster. Right? So anytime I mention Farcaster, I just want folks to remember that. Uh, but I, 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 I like just using an example of Web3 social, like people have built clients, people have built all these experience on Farcaster, like the core client is called Warpcast. Anybody can do it and they never need to talk to the team. There is no talking to the team. You can maybe make the UI you know, a different color, make it flashing neon. Or maybe you can be like, I'm going to remove all the follower counts because that's what I want to build. And you can do it without asking them permission. Maybe some of these ideas are bad. Some of these ideas are good. Let the marketplace decide. And that is how the original internet was, right? Like you could download your own email client or you think you own, uh, you know, you build your own products on top. The, and the, the app and the protocol but different. And that's one of the things I think Web3 brings. So for example, maybe you're right. Followers and following are terrible, right? Maybe you're wrong. But right now, the only people who can do that are a maybe like five to 10 human beings. And they all sit like within a few miles of me right now in like Palo Alto and San Francisco. What if anybody could be like, well, here's Instagram without followers or, you know, here's, you know, here's TikTok and it stops you from using it after five minutes, whatever it is. I think that's one of the promise of Web3, that permissionless innovation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, so basically, what what I wanted to do, uh, which um, I I still am doing, but I'm going to talk about the Web three aspect of it in a second. It was that basically, you would be, let's say, you're a creator. You come in, you build your own channel. Within your channel, you have got your, um, you know, live webinars. You have your on demand content. You can think of it a little bit like a visual version of Discord. And then you have your, uh, you know, your community. And um, people are helping each other, chatting with each other. Maybe the chat functionality would be more similar to a, a Facebook group rather than like a Discord chat, because the, the the whole nature of the Discord chat being in a, a constant, ongoing thing, it feels like like there is this expectation from the community that you have to be there 120 hours a day, <laughs> and it's like it's it's just impossible. You know, when am I going to go and build stuff, right? So so maybe it could be something that is a little bit less intense than what we experience in the in the boom of the web3 so with this thing that i started building the beauty of web3 and the beauty of uh, smart contracts was that once it was EVM compatible, it meant that you could stick in any smart contract address, and then you can token gate for multiple communities. Communities can collaborate with each other. So in a, in a native way that you can't get on Discord, you know, and it would really make it a lot easier for collaboration. However, just as we finished building that, Web3 started to go down. So my question to you is, you know, and, and this is like, we are not like, uh, backed by some big VC. I just raised some pre-seed funds from, you know, my angel investors and built the infrastructure. So I want to ask you, like, what would you do if you are in that position and you build that infrastructure for Web3, just as you finish building it and you go into this bear market and all of a sudden all of the Web3 communities are 
really deflated. Nobody's creating content. Nobody's really doing anything. And the big ones like Moonbirds or VFriends or whatever, you know, they're just trying to maintain what they have just just so that people don't dissipate. You know, people are like really losing interest. Yeah, I'd, I'd love for you to maybe put yourself in my position. What would you do? You know, at that point, would you say, okay, I'm going to sit around and wait for Web3 to come back? Or would you pivot and say, um, you know, maybe I change back to a Web2 business model? Well, okay. Uh, first of all, there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack there. The first thing I want, I want to say is, uh, and look, you know, I we should probably have a follow-up conversation and I can kind of dig into the details and give you a more informed answer. But let me just kind of maybe react to, you know, what you're asking. First thing, I'm just kind of so happy that you're building this. You know, it sounds like a great idea, right? Um, and, you know, um, I think it sounds like a very interesting product. And I'm all for people just building more in Web3. You know, I probably understand that, you know, it's probably been like a little tough going. So I have a lot of empathy for that. So just, I'm just so happy that you're here, you're building it uh, and you're trying to make it work. Uh, and because every day, whether we are investors or not, whether I'm involved or not, I just want to see more people, you know, involved in this space. So just one, just thanks for that. The second thing I would say is like, look, I mean, I can't give you very specific advice here because I would have to dig into more, but maybe more generically, I think you're asking a few things. I think the first question you're asking is, hey, what's happening at Web3, right? Like we lost a lot of momentum, right? I was building in this space, you know, when it was hot and it was a bull market. It doesn't seem a bull market now. Things are hard, right? I think that's one of the questions I think you're asking. Um, yes. And I think what I would say is, uh, you know, like if you look at crypto and you you probably know this, uh, we, things have always been in bull and bear market cycles. Uh, and, uh, you know, you had multiple eras of times, right? Like, you had like the crypto winter before this one and which kind of lasted until I think the rise of NFTs in like late 2019, uh, 2020. And there is always a pattern, which is in the bear market is when technology and infrastructure gets built. Uh, there's less noise, right? Uh, because a lot of the speculators, a lot of the tourists have gone. Um, it's just the core builders. It's the engineers, it's the product people. It's the really core entrepreneurs and believers. They build these products, they build the infra. And as they build it, you get use cases and you get products that have, you know, that find usage. People find get very, very excited. And that brings in a lot of other people, right? Like I think you could argue, for example, the last, the last cycle, you know, people were like, oh, you know, NFTs are really interesting. And they kind of like it brought a lot of people in. And I think we are in a bear market cycle now. It obviously, you know, but but the reason I work here and the reason I think we believe is like we're seeing all these people building things up and down the stack on the infrastructure layer, you know, whether it be L1s, L2s, and obviously in kind of the app space, uh, you know, I don't have a crystal ball as to which ones will work, uh, you know, but I think across it, right, I think the idea is like this will, you know, um, will kind of bring in the next set of innovation and so on. But that doesn't help you because you're like asking, okay, well, um, but I need to kind of build this and there's a lot of momentum. Uh, I hate to use examples, but to kind of use an example, right? Like, uh, again, to going back to Farcaster, um, one of the things I, I really like about the Farcaster approach is that there is nothing about the way Dan Drummer is building his community or the way the products approach that has to do with the financial side of crypto, right? Um, you know, there is, you know, the price of ETH, the price of anything has no impact on whether you use Farcaster, whether, well, outside of maybe the gas fees, but you know whether you actually find value in the product or whether you find the community, it's very remote. And I really, I like that because I do think there is an element in the last cycle where a lot of products, a lot of, uh, you know, where really maybe focused too much on the financialization aspect as opposed to leaning in on decentralization and permissionless uh, innovation. So 
if you think about like you know if you go into a podcast and look at the communities uh you know it's still a small early community but they are there because they just want to hang out with the other people they're not there to make money they're not there you know they're just there because they like the conversation we chat about podcasts or memes or uh you know uh whatever uh it may be so i do think like uh i, I think there is a pattern across a lot of com- communities across the years where the ways communities work is you find these high status individuals uh you know who have close ties who are underserved by existing platforms and you bring them over and then they build connective tissue and they start growing into something else like for example you mentioned your fitness forum i used to hang out in like really weird parts of reddit and that just kind of grew and grew and we'll see what happens to podcaster i obviously have hope but you know, the idea is like you have these high status people who are not maybe popular on twitter or instagram or tiktok they are there and by the way even if you remove crypto this is a pattern that repeated over time like if you look at tiktok Charlie D'Amelio became famous, but that was because on Instagram, she never was. And TikTok was just a better forum for her. But on Instagram, you had people who are very visual who could never kind of do the text jousting that Twitter was famous for. So you always see this pattern. So, uh, and I think kind of removing the financial appeal from the core product appeal uh, is very key. I think there may be a third question, which I think you're asking, which is, um, you know, hey, some of these Web3 communities that, you know, who might've been using it are now, you know, maybe not round or maybe don't have the energy they do. And I think that's very much, uh, you know, that's very much a, a pattern. But I also think like the ones that are still around or maybe going outside communities, I think there's an opportunity there to find these people who are not tourists, who kind of survive the bear market and you kind of build this strong, cohesive uh, community. But uh, psychology, I think the core question, and again, this is me riffing. I don't want to sort of give advice to a founder who's kind of in the weeds because, you know, they're kind of just reacting to, what you asked, right? I think if I were to think about what does Web3 actually give me? And, you know, and is what you're trying to build uniquely taking advantage of Web3? So in the forecaster world, I think that is, right? They're based, forecasters leaning into a pattern. We have been, um, I wrote this op-ed for uh, a couple of weeks ago. We are seeing a world where across social media, people are asking like, hey, I want a voice. I want, uh, you know, to run my community my own way. I, I don't like the way this place is run. Maybe, you know, you know, what contents allowed or not allowed. I want different experiences. So Farcast kind of leans into that and says, hey, here's a way where you can actually have those things. And I think the question, I think maybe your best question to answer this is, are you taking advantage of like decentralization and permissionless innovation uh, bring to bear? So that, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of paths we can go to. And again, this is me riffing off of what you said. And we can obviously have like a much more detailed- Yeah, no, no, that's, this is exactly. So this is great because this is not a generic com, uh, you know, conversation or podcast. It's always the whole point of this co- podcast is, you know, I want to, I want people to see a real life example of the kind of challenges that um you know that uh, one goes through as a founder in this in this space and to answer that last question that you you asked the idea was that yes because of the the smart contracts um they enable a level of flexibility in collaboration between communities so some of the communities that use the platform one of them is real vision uh they use the platform uh, with raupal um, and and their their uh, their team, but they use the platform for just uh, like a, a certain type of events that they do, which is more interactive, and they can bring in. For example, let's say if you're doing a session um, with World of Women, you can easily just from a drop down menu, you can just put in World of Women, and and then World of Women also holders also get access to that. You know, when I built this, it was not necessarily just focused on like PFP communities because another one of the communities that uses it is Tom Bilio's. Uh, oh, 
impact. Impact theory. Tom's great. Tom and these are fantastic. Amazing. So yeah, so they use they use the platform as well. You know, and overpriced JPEX uses it. Um, Zen Academy, so the, a number of com- communities use it, but they are not using it enough, you know, because they are not creating enough content. Um, so, and I think that will change when the market changes. You know, they're like they're just not creating enough content that will bring in a level of uh, of interest. So, and my idea initially was that I'm, I was going to make it. Uh, available for free for about 12 to 20 communities. You know, I offered it to Moonbirds. You know, they didn't take it and take up that offer because they're trying to build their own thing. And, you know, same thing with with uh, friends. So I understand some of the bigger brands. And I just realized that, you know, Web3 communities have got so much on their plate right now because they're just so stressed out about the community not engaging and um, people not really being interested in anything because everybody looks at their price of their NFTs and the, the NFTs are down, so people are not interested. They're not sh- showing up to the Discord. So the last thing people want is to, you know, create like elaborate top content. Just on that point, sorry, I mean, but just to, I, I was watching some of your other podcasts, and the one with Magdalena was I think is very awesome, and you know, um, it, she's she has some very good points here. I she do is. think you're, you're you're pointing to a pattern where, uh, you know, I think uh, like two things, right? One is when you have a large platform like Discord, and I have a lot of friends there, etc. Those things have a gravitational pull. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just installed by default, you know how to use it. And it's true for any social media platform, which is like, it's just the thing which everyone knows. And for any sort of upstart, uh, right? And by the way, we have, you know, I'm a, I'm an investor in a company called Towns with Ben Rubin. Um, and they're kind of trying out a different Web3 community product, uh, which is very close to ice. And I think the question is always like, okay, how do you build something which overcomes that inertia? Right. Like, because, you know, it's a little bit like building a chat app. If you're building a chat app, people, but I have iMessage and WhatsApp and Signal, Telegram. Like, how is yours? Like, not just a little better, but dramatically better. It's completely different. It's a completely different approach. It's around creating uh, live. Uh, no. live experiences and then you take the live experiences and you have a, your own library of content for example moonbirds from the day one they have had so many live sessions in their discord it's all lost what on right. our platform nothing gets lost because you have a category subcategories you have your channel you've got like you know it's like a, you build a library so that let's say three years later when somebody comes into moonbirds they can go to that channel and they can see from day one the history of every Everything that you've done, it's it's their visual, and there is nothing like it. There just is not anything like that in Web three. And I built it initially for us because I felt like that's what I wanted to, and I needed. And then uh, I started showing it to other com- communities, and then we built the, the functionality for other communities to also have their own channel. So in the beginning, it was one channel, and it was our channel. But now other people can use it. But because Web three communities are not really doing much right now i have decided for now to open it up to other communities so so now we are rebranding it as a place for emerging spaces so it's like ai health and longevity so in the beginning it used to be that it would be just a a token gated but because these other communities don't have tokens so we are now creating email gating with email gating it means that you upload a csv of emails and you can say everybody who has who who is uploaded to this to this channel they get access to this channel so you can you can email gate yeah Uh, i i you know one thing i i I think you know every sort of online 
forum, I think has started with like finding those very niche communities on the edge. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the pattern is uh, if you're mainstream and you're broad, right? Like you don't want to try out something new, however better it is, right? Like it's often about the early adopters or often the people on the edge. So, exactly. you know, and so for example, like this week, I'm on a, so many WhatsApp groups. I mean, we're doing this in early August. I'm on so many WhatsApp and Telegram groups talking about LK99, right? And room temperature semiconductors, of which I know nothing about, but I'm fascinated. And all these kind of like really weird internet people who are all kind of like, there's a physicist and there is somebody who's kind of like has a lab at home and there is like a legit professor and they all kind of, so it's all these communities on the edge, which uh, yes. bring in energy. So I think that approach sounds good to me. You know, I've been on uh, Warpcast a little bit. And one of the things that's been really work, been, been really interesting to see is they've been all these, like there are all these channels now where it's not just the main podcast, but there is a space to talk just about podcasts. That's the place just to talk about memes. That's the place just to talk about movies. And I used to feel really bad about, like, say, talking about movies broadly, but now I'm like, there's, channel where there's a bunch of other movie fans and we talk about that. So I think finding those niche things has always, like, been a recipe. Yeah, and I'm going for Web3 adjacent, right? So, like, AI, uh, longevity, like, these are two, two areas that are quite Web3 ad- adjacent because most of the people who are interested in those things I think that even if they don't like Web3 right now, maybe they don't like crypto. I think that they, because they are already open-minded enough. So if you think about the, the ocean, the openness, conscientiousness, you know, the five personality traits. So I, I've actually written a book about the future of work and AI. And I wrote this book in 2019 when nobody was talking about AI. <laughs> and then and then I focused on, on Web3 and now everybody's gone back to uh, AI. And in my book, I talk about those those. Um, you know, five personality traits and how, so what you, what we're going for is for people who are at a higher level of the openness spectrum. And, and that in terms of what they, uh, you know, their uh, connection with other people, they're very achievement oriented. So we're, we're identifying that audience, which is not easy, but, um, but it's, it's doable and it's like, it's working really well. So, so one of the things that we've done, we've now created a channel specifically for VCs and uh, startups. So where VCs come in and we have got over 100 VCs have already responded that they are, we are, we are booking them in. So VCs come in and each VC comes in and does a one hour um, masterclass on a topic that is related to their, you know, that that's their specialty. And um, and we've got all the 150 hours of content together with ChatGPT. We came up with it and, you know, we prepared that. And now we're booking in all these. So that means that all these startup founders are now going to come into our platform to discover to for to to come to those uh, VC sessions. So it means they discover our platform, and then on the back of that, then we will show them how they can create their own communities. So so I think this is a great way to circumvent because I I did my very best with Web three. I pushed to the limit, and the truth is that. Uh, all of those things that you mentioned about some of the, the niche communities, the problem is that because they're not making money, they're not willing to spend money. And and I need to uh, generate revenue because if I can't generate revenue, I can't raise my, my next round. And, you know, there, there's this, this weird position that you are in because Web3 is not making money right now. And if you are, let's say, Lens Protocol and you have a massive cash that is backing you, then you can say, I'm going to weather the storm. But for a small startup that hasn't raised VC yet, I've just raised over a million, you know, from angels. So for somebody like that, that's like trying to kind of navigate, how do I survive this market until the market bounces back? So, so going for a, a, a different audience and like, like now building a whole new business model around it. But 
part of me is sad about the fact that the Web3 thing didn't work. And part of me is like, I just need to survive, <laughs> you know? Well, first of all, I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm just, I'm scared. I'm sorry you're kind of going through this. It's such a hard journey. Um, you know, I've talked to, uh, you know, one, one of the people, you know, I'm lucky to work with is uh, Ben Horowitz and Ben has his book, The Hard Things About. Yeah, I'm listening. I listened, I'm listening to it for the second uh, time. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, and him, it, I think it kind of really captures how hard the founder journey is, uh, you know, Mark Andreessen has a saying, which is like building a company sometimes is like chewing glass and it's hard. And I think uh, there are no easy answers, uh, you know, obviously, like, for example, like Brian Armstrong has this great story about when, you know, Coinbase is now kind of like this very sort of well-known, famous leading crypto company, but they had so many times in their kind of life journey where one, people thought they were fraudulent. Like in 2013, 2014, they're out of YC. They were like, well, Bitcoin is a scam. It's for, you know, uh, it's for Silk Road and, you know, whatever. And people just didn't take them seriously. Then they kind of got beyond that. And then he told the story when he came on my podcast, he said, um, and then the next time around, I think when the next bear cycle happened, he had like 25 or 30% of his company just quit, right? And it's really hard as a founder when all of a sudden, like, you know, you have like a big team and 30% of the company just gone. And, you know, and when you go and, uh, and I think there are no easy answers. Um, and but I do think like the pattern that we have seen in crypto, um, and you know, again, not sure it helps you directly, but the pattern we've seen is like, you know, on the other side of this is you, you know, the people who kind of figure out how to build real amazing product and value. And uh, again, from what you're telling me, you know, um, you know, focusing on the basics, real value, finding some of these early stage communities. I like the idea of open community because. I do think like you, you want people who are curious and you want to try out new things. Uh, those are kind of the people who want to experience new products. Uh, I like the idea of getting VCs who ask VCs like to talk a lot. So you might have to you know do some editing there. But uh, you know I think finding those early communities, getting that in is the right answer. I'll also think that you know some of the products which really relied on the financial aspects of crypto, right? Because you know you see people leave when whatever price is not high. So I think longevity uh, for products here is going to be like, what is real value? Are you taking advantage of all the core technical aspects of crypto? Decentralization, permissionless innovation, uh, building a, a real community. And I mean, look, you are in the thick of it. So, you know, uh, bravo for kind of powering through it. And in order to help, would love to play with the product, etc. You know, but, you know, it just props to you for kind of like building here. Oh, thank you. So um, let's talk a little bit about the financialization, over-financialization. Two, two things that I wanted to go through with you, make sure that we cover. One is the problem of over-financialization of crypto and NFTs, which is really impacting the ability of building a community. The other thing is I wanted to talk a little bit about what you guys are doing in London and then how easy it is for AI to be adopted as opposed to Web3. So, so these three com conversations I want to make sure that we cover. So let's go first with the hyper-financialization problem. So communities are built around these JPEGs in Web3 and those JPEGs have got a price tag and then it's impossible to maintain those price tags. Even big communities like Moonbirds and, and Proof, you know, they haven't been able to do that. Or even Bored Apes, right? So, so it's quite 
quite difficult to satisfy this concept because the problem is that people buy these things thinking of them as some kind of uh, investment or they think of it as that they are investing in that company uh, but that's the, the reality is that is that that's not true so how do you see the next wave of people that come into web3 if that happens and and it sounds like you are very hopeful and adamant that that will happen um, but how do you think what will it look like the next round and what have we learned from allowing this over financialization and when i say allowing it I mean look for example i remember a day when kevin rose went on bankless and they were talking about royalties and they like talking about you know how how this was such a great business model and then within a few months, uh, you know, that all the things that have happened in Web3 has shown that that's actually not the case um, because royalties were not sustainable. And um, and when royalties were not sustainable, then the communities didn't have as much of a reason to try and keep the, the floor prices high. This concept of floor price became very problematic. So how do you see the ne- next iteration of these community building around? If it, like Because if there's not that hyper-financialization, are people even interested in the community? What makes them interested to be part of a community? Good question. I think, you know, I don't want to talk about any one specific company, but I think the macro thing is, uh, I think you have to st- start with, you know, what is special and unique about Web3, right? And the answer to that is not, we are invested in something where the price is always going to go up. That just not want to happen, right? And I think the answer to that lies in things that were not possible before. For example, like having a say in how things are run, right? Having a seat at the table, being able to vote on what the artist does, having access to things that you don't have a part of and being along for uh, the journey. So I do think the things which lean into what is unique about Web3 as opposed to, you know, just something where you're like, hey, you're just going to have drop after drop after drop. Like, that's where I think the answers are, right? Like, so I have a friend who likes to say, like, you know, the products, the communities that last long are the ones where you're along for the journey, right? You, you know, you feel you have two kinds of, I would say, stakeholdership. One is economic, right? Like, so for example, we have this whole report that we put out on, you know, the take rates from all these Web2 social companies and how anything in Web3 that you you're just because the architecture of it, right? Like you have economic participation. The second kind of participation is what I like to call it a seat at the table. You know, I used to watch, you know, I remember watching Hamilton back like five years ago and like you're, you're in the room where it happens a little bit where, you know, it could be the most smallest of choices or it could be something more profound and you get to vote and you have a say, right? And across the board, you know, we see like, you know, like, I'm, I come from the world of social media. You see all the social media companies who have like people really mad at them because they took down something or they didn't take down something. So I think the answers, and the reason why I don't want to give you a specific answer is like, I, you know, it's hard to, you know, hard to look in a crystal ball. Like, you know, we'll have to see where the next wave of innovation comes from, but that's where the real value has to be. It's not from, hey, uh, you're going to make a lot of money. It's like, hey, you now own something. There's a meaning to that. You get to participate in something over a long, long, and also over a long um, period of time. So that's kind of uh, what I would say. And I think, uh, you know, the people are kind of like being able to do that as opposed to just kind of like, you know, promise like financialization have done well. On I, I think on social media, which, you know, um, which I spent a lot of time on it, one of the reasons, you know, sometimes there have always been efforts to be like, hey, we are going to do this thing where you can bring in your followers or we are going to, we're going to pay you to write something, right? And those never work. And the reason they don't work is the the psychology for what makes someone want to contribute. Why I do a podcast or why you maybe do this or why somebody builds a following. It's not purely financial, right? Like there's a lot of things happening in there. 
Second is, it's like, it's really hard to model these mechanics and avoid short-term behavior. You kind of wind up drawing people who are motivated, you know, by mercenary financial motivations and not be like, hey, I want to be part of something. Like, you know, when you're part of like, say that community you mentioned, or when I was part of like the online firm, I had no idea of making money. I was just there because of the spot, right? And I wanted, I liked the group. It meant something, right? Like that's why I was there. Um, And so absolutely, I think the last couple of years, there's definitely been a lot of people who have sort of stressed the financial aspect. But I do think now in the bear market, one of my hopes is that there's a lot less noise. So you have a lot more time for pure builders. You know, people are just really focused on the technology, on product, where the value prop is not financial. The value prop is not like, you're going to make a quick buck. The value prop is like, hey, you can build something without asking for permission, right? You have access to a technological construct that you didn't have access to before. So I think that's where the next wave is going to uh, come from. I really hope that you're right, <laughs> Serena. Uh, Siram, I, I really hope that you're right because my worry is, you know, I, I don't know how much time you spend day to day in the discords of these uh, various communities. Way too much. Way too much. <laughs> you know, but like my worry is that the conversations that I see going on, it's all about the money. And and I really hope that, you know, we, we start to see people focusing on all of the other wonderful aspects of, you know, what the things that attracted me to Web3 was um, all of the things that you said, like the technology is so elegant. But talking about the technology, so th- let's get to the next question, which uh, is around how easy it has been for AI to be adopted as opposed to Web3. I mean, like I was, I was ch- uh, chatting with, with the, the team at Real Vision yesterday because we were doing some collaboration with them and they were in London and they were like, I asked them, how, how do you feel about it? Like with, with what's going on right now? And they were like, look at how easy it's been for AI to be adopted. The problem with Web3 is it's just complicated. You know, like for example, if, if I wanted to tell somebody that you can use our platform, you know, even the VCs that I'm talking to, you can use our platform for example, right now, you can go and create an, an A16Z channel, and then you can have live webinars and, and uh, you know, on-demand content for your portfolio companies. And you can give those portfolio companies a token, and only they can access that, that channel. Like, look at the, the value proposition of that. And then if you could maybe do a collaboration with another VC. Maybe you could do a collaboration with uh, Alexis Ohanian, right? And, and he's got his own thing with his token. All you have to do is just, like, add them from a little drop-down menu and then you can do you can say like for for this month or for this event for this um, specific thing all of the people who are you know who have the alexis ohanian token they can also come into the a16z channel this is what we try to build here and we have built this is built it's all built it's there it's ready to go but it's so hard when i even talk to vcs i'm like i'm telling them look you can use this channel this is what you can do with it but they're like but we don't have a token we don't and like we are you know do you mean that all of our portfolio companies need to go and create a wallet and then we have to put a token into their wallet even if that token is just a, a soulbound token it's just the complication of it so that's why we are going down that route of now creating the the email gating which is like it feels like taking a step back you know, well, I think there's a couple of things in here. First of all, I spend all of my time on crypto, right? I'm not an AI expert. There are a lot of AI experts, a lot of them on Twitter. So I leave like a lot. Of, but I think you're making a few interesting points here, right? I think the first one is, you know, a lot of things about crypto do need to be easier. That's why I'm, I'm really uh, excited for lots of the different things. Like, for example, a coin abstraction, which I think is going to be make it a lot easier for, you know, people to kind of sign up, have an onboarding experience. Um, you know, a lot of obviously activity in the L2 space about making it faster and cheaper. So I think the idea of like, hey, 
you know, we need, you know, there is always going to be a push that, you know, crypto, you know, how do you make it easier for hundreds of millions of people, you know, or billions of people to use a mainstream product? Absolutely, right? On the AI side, right? Like I think, you know, and again, I'm not an expert. My day job is, you know, being kind of being crypto VC is on the AI side, right? Like AI has kind of been through multiple like hype cycles themselves. Like if you look at it in the 60s, it was like, you know, uh, you know, McCarthy and the history of Lisp, who were kind of the original AI folks. And then that led to like the MIT labs and you had like symbolics. And then in, there was kind of the rise of neural networks and people like oh, neural networks are dead. And then in the last seven, eight years, you had like deep learning show up. And then last couple of years, transformers and attention show up. So they kind of had multiple press and troughs themselves. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I hang out with like my AI friends and, you know, because I know so little about AI, you know, and, you know, they they ask me about crypto, I ask them about AI and they'll be like, oh, we've been through kind of like similar versions of this. What is actually interesting to me and, you know, um, we actually announced one um, recently is the intersection of AI and crypto. So we just announced a couple of months ago, uh, uh, you know, one of my partners, Ali Yahya, um, you know, a leading investment in a company called Jensen. Um, I we can point people to the announcement um, because I would butcher it. But the basic idea is like, you know, how do you harness, um, you know, like kind of the distributed nature of crypto um, and not leave, say, the mechanics of how large models are trained to only a few companies which can raise hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, right? And so, you know, and by the way, there have been historical uh, uh, sort of versions of this. Like if you go back to, say, uh, mid 2000s SETI at home, which is about like, hey, how do you find alien extraterrestrial drive running? I used to run this on my own desktop back when I was in college. And then, or, uh, you know, folding at home, which was kind of like doing protein folding. There are these constructs of like, hey, let's kind of do distributed uh, training or computation across a bunch of different PCs. And what crypto brings to the table is now you have a incentive model where you can now be like, hey, that person like running that in their own little desktop CPU or wherever the case may be, here's how the incentive mechanism works. Here's how people validate the response, et cetera. So, so Jensen's one example, you know, there are a lot of other interesting people working in the space. I just mentioned that because um, we mentioned it. So I think that is uh, very, very uh, exciting. So look, I'm at heart a technology maximalist. So I love people just kind of pushing the art forward. Uh, you know, yeah, I don't prescribe this theory of like AI versus crypto. I want to see great builders in both. I think the intersection of AI and crypto is very, very interesting. That would be interesting if AI can make it easier for adoption of crypto. Uh, or adoption of of. Well, I, I think you have to think about like what does crypto bring to the table, right? Like, and it brings to you know decentralization, uh, having building protocols with distributed incentive mechanisms that which help you reason about how all these different people can participate. And uh, you know, there's a great quote. I think it's from Peter Thiel, but people are always kind of like never sure about like where the quote is from, which is that you know that AI is a centralizing force and crypto is a decentralizing force. I might be butchering it, but I think you get the spirit of it right. Yeah, yeah. But I, there is maybe a, a middle ground where, you know, uh, like I don't like to be honest, like I'm a decentralization maximalist. Uh, I tell people like, you know, crypto just happens to be one of the best ways to do decentralization, right? If there is magic, you know, but I'm a decentralization maximalist. And I would hate to see a world where large AI models are the province of only three companies, right? Yeah. Nothing of the companies. I like those people. They're great people. I would like to see like, hey, ones where, you know, you can train um, you know, the version of the next version of GPT or Llama or, uh, you know, Claude or whatever the case may be on, I have a MacBook M2 had right here on one of these, right? Or you can inference it on one of these. And then you, but you get to participate. There is an incentive mechanism for you to participate. You get rewarded. Uh, that's one interesting example. The other interesting example of AI and crypto is attribution mechanisms. Um, we, you know, I think in ETCC in Paris a couple of weeks ago, uh, there are all these interesting prototypes. And I think there's a hackathon where people are kind of participating. Like, how, how do you kind of show 
the uh, attribution of how some image comes from, you know, all the way back to the source. And, you know, and maybe those people can be rewarded too. So I, I think, look, we're just kind of getting started. Uh, you know, I see a lot of builders building in this space. So I'm a decentralization in technology maximalist and, you know, and I would love to see like more amazing products. Yeah, absolutely. So last question, can you tell me a little bit about what's happening with London? So, and you know, I'm, I'm based in London, so I'm very okay. excited about you guys in uh, being here. Oh, well, that's awesome. I might have to ask you for tips on living in London. I'm actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually as we record this, I'm actually going to be moving there uh, in a few days. Uh, well, uh, it's a longer conversation, but the couple of minutes we have, I would say very quickly, one of the things we've been, you know, really excited uh, with the United Kingdom is their focus on providing a clear regulatory framework with clear rules of the road um, and, you know, want to kind of foster innovation, especially in crypto. Uh, and we've been kind of like really, uh, you know, heartened by what we have seen over there. Uh, and also we, we've been like really heartened by the amazing talent that we see in the United Kingdom and lots of different things. And I'm going to miss a few. So from obviously the amazing crypto startups happening in the UK, we are investors in a few that are, that are more, uh, there are multiple like pockets of amazing hackers. Uh, but one of the best parts is like, academia right and not just kind of the major golden triangle uh, university not just like oxford and cambridge and all these other places which have blockchain clubs and people building things it's just amazing amazing talent there so yeah so we are really excited we announced uh along uh you know you know chris dixon who the managing partner for the crypto fund i'll announce along with the uk prime minister that we're going to be opening up an office i'm going to be uh flying out there uh to lead it up along with a small team and i would love to get all sorts of london living tips uh uh, we're going to be there for a while and yeah we're, we're really excited and if someone's nice. watching this and you're in london and or uk or anywhere nearby and you're into crypto send me an email or a dm i want to hear from you because i want to really understand that uh but for now we just we just like let's find a place to live and you know let's get settled but yeah we're really really excited about the, the uk long term that's very that's great that uh, we are actually we, we've just applied for a grant and to build something on the cross section of ai and and blockchain so i'm hoping that the whole the UK government opening up to it. Hopefully that will help. And uh, I think I'm hopeful uh, about living in London. I think that this might open up uh, an opportunity for us because I think with the what we've done now with our platform, we've already built the, the uh, Web3 element of it. Now we are also building a really interesting AI side of it. So I think that we, hopefully we should be able to be at the cross section of that and hopefully being in London, that will help. I, I love hearing that. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, for anyone listening to this podcast, if you're based in the UK or London, or if you have ideas and suggestions for, you know, crypto, especially, you know, just reach out, right? Like I want to, I would love to meet everybody and, you know, be a kind of a good, good participant there. We have a lot to learn, but we're very, very excited to, you know, be out there. Or oh, the other part of this uh, uh, you know, is we are going to be running our uh, crypto startup school uh, next year in London. So that's going to be nice. very exciting as well. Uh, really, really pumped for that. That's going to be well, I don't, I don't know if they've officially on the stage here, but that's going to be happening uh, next year. And yeah, so just really, really excited for all things UK. But I would love any and all tips. So if any of you watching this are in London, UK, send me tips because I'm going to be moving there. And yeah, I'm excited about that. Awesome. Excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Sarah. Hey, thank you so much. And this was a blast. Thank you so much for uh, having me. And thanks for building in Web3.
I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sariram Krishnan of A16Z. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show. If you could also be so kind as to write me a review, I will be sure to read it during the show and respond to your thoughts and comments. 